and uh, it became uh, a place where the homeless community lived. So they would move into these uh, vacated school buses, and this would become home for them. So our youth group growing up, we would go and serve on this road, and we would take meals, and I remember one year delivering bicycles to the kids that lived in these school buses. This was their home. This was their community. And in my little brain uh, in that moment, it was like, man, I am so thankful for what God has given me. Most of you can relate to some experience where you've been plucked out of your culture, placed in another culture, and had this overwhelming sense of, I am so thankful. And perhaps even conviction for the things that you gripe about in the culture that you call home. Now here's the question. Wouldn't it be great if we could live with that spirit of thankfulness all the time? Like, wouldn't it be great if it didn't require a week's trip to a place like South Dakota or foreign mission context to convince us, to overwhelm us with thankfulness at God's goodness to us? That's our goal this morning as we consider Deuteronomy chapter 26, to hold up the theme of thankfulness and consider it particularly at this time uh, in our calendar when we have a holiday that reminds us to be thankful God in his kindness reminds us of this from his word, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, and you've taken possession of it and you live in it, then you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go and place it before the Lord, I'm sorry, and you shall go, got lost, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. So those of you that have been journeying with us through this teaching series, you know where we are. We're on the brink of the promised land. The people hearing the final instructions of Moses as they prepare to cross over into this land of the promise. This is the second generation of those who were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. They've watched their parents die in the wilderness, and now they are on the brink of going into the land. And Moses is giving them some instructions for here's what you're going to do when you get into the land. Thankfully, I gave Hugh the short straw last week as he taught about 10 chapters of these instructions random laws for what will happen when you get into the land. Chapter 26 is really one unit together of what they are to do, and it centers around their giving of thanks. They are here at the outset to take this first fruits of the produce that they get in the land and give it back to God. This seems a bit common. I mean, it's, it's a bit like kids giving their parents a Christmas gift with their parents' money, right? Like, I just gave you 10 bucks so you can go to the store and buy me a tie that I'll never wear, right? So God has given them the produce, he's given them the land, and they are to go into it and then offer back to God, not after they've eaten and gotten full, but the first fruits of the produce, back to God in the place that he would declare. Now we'll see throughout this chapter and really throughout all the Old Testament 
that this is the natural response of the recipients of God's grace. They are a thankful and giving people. The first time we see this scene is in Genesis 8. Noah, after coming off of the ark, in Genesis 8, verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and the Lord said, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So Noah, after receiving the provision of the Lord, steps off the ark and offers back to God this act of worship. What we see in Deuteronomy 26 and pointing forward to their taking of the land is that the people are to make a declaration before the priest. This priest prefiguring the work of Christ who would serve as a mediator between God and man. The people would come before the priest and they would offer this act of worship and the priest would take it before God, something that Jesus now does on our behalf, and say this personalized confession. I have come into the land. I have received God's grace and as a result, this is my offering back to God. Now, you may at the outset, as we read this passage, and really as we read throughout the book of Deuteronomy, think, man, this seems so ritualistic, right? Many of us have negative ideas associated with rituals. We come, we take the land, we take a first fruits, we set it aside, we go to a mediator, we offer it, we do this kind of incantation before the priest. He takes it and he sits it before the altar that the Lord has prescribed. This feels pretty ritualistic. We, we know the danger, many of us know the danger of rituals, right? They can become sterile. They can become rote. But, and this is the critical but of this text, rituals provide an anchor for us that our feelings do not. They're not always a bad thing. In fact, rituals help to anchor our hearts to the things that matter. And if we don't have ritualistic thanks in our lives, ritualistic giving in our lives, we become like a toy ship tossed into a mighty river that life can take wherever it wants to take. And so, preemptively, Moses says, when you get into the land, you need to have some rituals that serve as anchors for you. If you don't, of course, you're probably going to continue to give thanks, but it's going to be primarily the reactive type of thanks. It's the type of thanks that we experience when we're driving on the interstate and we see the cop lurking in the bushes, right? And all of a sudden, our heart wells with emotion. Oh, please, 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 don't let me look in the rearview mirror and see lights flashing, right? Two miles down the road, as we're attempting to swerve off to get off on an exit to hide from the cop, we, we're in the clear. And then we start our reactive thankfulness. Thank you, God, that that cop did not get me in that moment. Now, this, sadly, is the state of thankfulness for most of our lives. 
We are a reactively thankful people rather than a proactively thankful people. A people that can look at life not through the rearview mirror and give thanks merely for what's happened historically, but people that can look forward and thank God for his faithfulness to his promises. That God will stay true to his word, and therefore, because he is faithful to his character, I can have proactive thanks, knowing I can have confidence to give thanks tomorrow because God is going to be the same God tomorrow as he was yesterday. Moses knows there will be an ease of thankfulness for the people the moment they cross over into the land, but it's going to be harder for them to maintain thankfulness year in and year out, and so he says, have a tether to that. Have a way to anchor your heart to giving thanks day in and day out. Remember back our scene in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the repeated refrain. You didn't get the land because you did anything. You're going to go and get cities that you didn't build. You're going to drink from cisterns that you didn't dig. Thankfulness, rituals of thanks, protect them and protect us from thinking that we did anything. There is a close connection between thankfulness and humility and forgetfulness and pride. Thankfulness works as the outworking of a heart of humility. You want to grow in humility? The best path to grow in humility is to grow in your outward thankfulness. It's hard to put a lot of tangibility with humility. Am I really humble? A, really, a great way to gauge the tangibility of your humility is, are you thankful? Are you a thankful person? Remember the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 11, the 10 lepers that Jesus heals? The point of the story, the point of the parable, nine of them go away and don't come back and give thanks, and one of them being healed from this deadly disease, what does he do? He comes back and gives Jesus thanks. Jesus says, where, didn't I heal, heal 10? Where are the other nine? Only one that came back to give me thanks. Thankfulness isn't something primarily that we reactively do, but thankfulness is a discipline of our hearts. Thankfulness, if you're taking notes this morning, I'll give you four, four kind of anchors for thankfulness, four main points. The first is that thankfulness is a discipline. It is not primarily something that you feel, it is something that you choose to do. And so, just like the people of God going into the land, we have to be people of ritualistic thankfulness. So, let me ask you to do a little bit of introspection here for me. Do you have seasons specifically set aside where you choose to anchor your heart to thankfulness? Annually, we get a gift of this, right? The, the annual calendar gives us a thanksgiving. Perhaps over the last few days you have chosen to set aside time to give God thanks for his provision, tangible provision for you, and spiritual provision if you are in Christ. How about more than that, though? I mean, we, we've got to admit, the pace of our lives and the rhythm that we move on each day, if we have an annual anchor for thankfulness, that is entirely insufficient, right? We will be swept away by forgetfulness. So what about weekly? 
Do you have any type of weekly rhythm that forces your heart to give thanks to God? One God-given gift is this place each week. Like as we stand and sing those songs, and then this forces you to, to do some reflecting, but right now, like think about your thinking right now. Is your thinking, <laughs> we survived the trip to church and my kids have matching socks on, right? I didn't fight with my wife on the way to church and I think she likes me right now. Or is your heart overwhelmed with gratitude to God for his grace in Christ? Right? This provides a place for that. But again, this is insufficient. Do your day rhythms, does this afternoon's rhythm provide a space for you to give thanks to God? Or will today be consumed with fantasy football and eating food and a nap on the couch? Are there any spaces for thankfulness? What about daily? When you meet with the Lord each day, when you get up in the morning and you open God's word, does your heart drift to the things that you need for that day? The things of your life that you wish would change? Or is your heart prompted to thankfulness? The Lord's sustaining grace in your life that day. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, writes this. Giving thanks to God for both his temporal and spiritual blessings in our lives is not just a nice thing to do. It is the moral will of God. Failure to give him thanks is sin. It may seem like a benign sin to us because it, it doesn't harm anyone else, but it is an affront and insult to the one who created and sustains us every second of our lives. And if, as Jesus so clearly states, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind is the first and greatest commandment, then the failure to give thanks to God as the habit of life is a violation of the greatest commandment. We must build in the discipline of thankfulness in our lives. Verse 5, And you shall make the response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt, and he sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a mighty nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, and he saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place to give us a land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the, Lord, the good that the Lord your God has given you. And to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Second main idea about thankfulness. Thankfulness is a discipline. Secondly, thankfulness is historical. Thankfulness is historical. Our thankfulness is far more than circumstantial. It is historical, rooted in the nature and character of God. Thankfulness, at first glance, isn't a Christian virtue. 
I mean, few people, even non-believers, are going to argue against giving thanks, right? It's fascinating, even an atheist, there's, I need to give thanks. Even if it's just a random chance that got me to this place, thanks is rooted in the heart of all humanity. But, much like knowing the right answer and not really caring how you get there, thanks is the right answer, but it does matter how we get there. We must discipline our hearts to give thanks, not because of our circumstances, but because of the consistency of God's character. And this is a different path to thankfulness than the world will provide. Our story, the Christian story, is rooted not first and foremost in our circumstances, but in God's faithfulness to keep his promises perfectly and fully revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So these people, while their circumstances at this stage look pretty good, right? They're crossing over, getting a land that they didn't deserve, getting an abundance of gifts— their circumstances were far from ideal. I mean, they buried their parents. They'd squandered years. They'd been wandering around in a wilderness. Their circumstances were far from ideal, but God's character was consistent. And because his character was consistent, they could say what they say in verses 5 through 11. Here's the story of God's faithfulness to us. We are all prone to the folly of thinking. If my circumstances just changed, then I would be thankful. If that is the status of your heart, then you are not rooted and grounded in Christian thankfulness. You are rooted and grounded in circumstantial thankfulness. And circumstantial thankfulness can be stripped away at any point. But Christian thankfulness, rooted in the gospel and in God's consistent character, can't change. This is why, fascinating text, like the prophet Habakkuk. Remember him? He's one of the very few prophets in the, in the Old Testament that, that does more question asking than he does message giving. It's a three-chapter book. It's a really short book, and uh, it's anchored in two big questions that the prophet asks. God, why are you letting these things happen? And are you actually good? Okay, two really big questions. The nation's about to get crushed. We're about 100 years before the Babylonian destruction of the people of God and the subsequent exile of the people. And he says, God, it looks like things are getting really bad. Josiah's reform of the people of God has just happened. Inwardly, the people are spiritually withering away, and externally, they can just see Babylon's on the horizon and getting ready to crush them. And he says, God, why are you letting this happen? God, are you still good? It looks like things are about to fall apart. And then this beautiful passage to end the book. This is a coffee cup text, right? You put this on a shirt. It's awesome. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on the high places. This is the verdict of Christian thankfulness. My circumstances stink, but I take joy in God. 
the consistency of his character, which prompts Paul to say in 1 Thessalonians 5, one of the most convicting texts in all the Bible, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. There are very few times that the biblical writers come out and say, this is explicitly what the will of God is for you. In one place, your sanctification, your conformity to Christ's image. And here, second place, explicitly, what's the will of God for you to give thanks in all circumstances? Like not, not which college you're going to go to, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you're going to marry this dude or that dude, but give thanks in all circumstances. This, we can have rock-solid confidence as God's will for you. This is God's will for you. Verse 12. When you've finished paying all the tithe of the produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing given to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, so that you may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, according to all the commandment that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of the commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, or removed any of it while I was unclean, or offered any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground on which you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. So notice, it's a bit like from chapters 15 all the way to 26, we've been riding this uphill ascent. The people of God have been given all these commandments that Hugh pointed us to last week to highlight what worshipful obedience looks like for the people of God. And then they get to the top, and right before they're able to tap out and look at God and say, we've fulfilled it all, what is the height of worshipful obedience? It's giving. It's giving. It's giving that allows them to look back and say, we've done all that God has commanded us. Their thankfulness, the third idea, thankfulness is tangible. It's touchable. It's something that we can see, that we can respond to. They give of their produce, and here specifically it's singled out that they're supplying the needs of others. They give it, in verse 12, to the Levite, the people of God that were instructed to lead the worship of the people, not given an inheritance of the land because they would be provided for by the people. And then these outsiders, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. There's provision made for the leaders of worship and for the outsiders who did not have a share of the land. And notice in the text, this isn't stingy giving. It's until they're filled. It's until they're filled. So he says, you people of God, you want to demonstrate thankfulness for what God has done in bringing you into the land, then you, you give. First and foremost, you give thanks. You do not feel thankful. First and foremost, you give thanks. You don't feel thankful thankful. We see this throughout all of the scriptures. If we allow our feelings to dictate our actions, we get crushed. 
But if we allow worshipful obedience to anchor our feelings, then we can respond properly to God. So we give, we tangibly give of our thanks, even when we don't feel like it. For whatever reason, it's seeped into the common culture that it's a really bad thing to do things that you don't feel like. I would argue the exact opposite. It is a really good thing to consistently do the right things even when you don't feel like it. Because your feelings, are, and my feelings, are a terrible guide for life. And hopefully you've lived long enough to realize that. So I want to consistently, every day, force myself to do things that I don't feel like doing and allow my emotions to catch up with my actions. I can't drive my life with my feelings. So he says, give thanks. Give to the sojourner, the outcast, the widow, the Levite, in your midst. Rooted in God's self-giving nature. What a, God gave himself. He gave his word. He gives his son. He gives every good and perfect gift, James tells us. So his people who respond to him in worship, they give. Giving is emblematic of a change of heart that wants to respond properly to God. A Christian is much more than one who gives mental assent to certain doctrines, but it's a person who responds to a personal encounter with God. And you are never more like God than when you give. This is what he does. But notice also that this giving, particularly in Deuteronomy 26, is not simply something that individuals do, but it's a community-shaping event. It's something that they do together. They give of their thanks together and to one another. Paul's words in Ephesians 5 make this point about the New Testament church. He says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days of evil are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Then here's what you're to do if you're filled with the Spirit in verse 19. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this, friends, is what the community of the church is meant to be. It's meant to be a place of thanksgiving, that we get together and we ping thankfulness off of one another. And we encourage one another's heart in the spirit of giving thanks. What a great gift the church would be if it was consistently a place of overflowing thankfulness. If to the downtrodden and the discouraged that being with the community of the church would enliven their hearts with thanksgiving. That every time we gather is Thanksgiving Day. Certainly, this giving is financial. It's why things like the budget of our church matters, because we want to give of ourselves to things that matter and are important. Last week, you received a copy of the budget and an email form and dispersed here in the facility. If you don't have a copy, I'd encourage you to get it. Over these two weeks, as we build to, to next Sunday, we want to invite you to ask questions, send emails, Drop by and see the pastors if you have any questions. Next Sunday night, I'll address the congregation and talk through our budget. 
Make sure everybody's clear on how our giving is being used. Answer any questions that we've gotten via email. So I want to encourage you to send those ahead of time so that we know and are aware and can answer them with good clarity. We want to give corporately in ways that matter. That's why things like Lottie Moon giving matters. Lottie Moon provides an annual opportunity for us to tether our hearts to giving so that we can advance the cause of Christ around the world. There's information here to my left, your right on the table in the front. You can see any of the pastors, and we'd love to talk with you more about how Lottie Moon Giving is used to advance Southern Baptist missions around the world. Our financial giving matters, but it's also more. I mean, we give in so many other ways. Certainly not less than financial, but it is more. We give grace to people who don't deserve it. We give time to those who need our ear. We give prayer to those who will never say thanks in return. We give a word of encouragement to a brother or sister who's been a blessing to us. This place provides a never-ending opportunity of thankfulness. Then lastly, verse 16, this day, the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. As he has promised you, that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all the nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. The last tether of thankfulness is that thankfulness is missional. Thankfulness is missional. It's the refrain we've seen throughout this book. It says, be careful to do all the things that I have instructed you to do, and as you do, I'm going to set you up as a people that the nations will look in on and see the praise and fame and glory and honor of Christ displayed. Long before God gives his spirit to indwell believers and sends them out, God's habitation is among his people in a centralized dwelling place that the nations could look in on and see the glory of God. And he says, as you live this way, the nations are going to see a distinct people. Like the way we grieve with hope, as Paul writes in the New Testament, Christian thankfulness provides a distinct evangelistic opportunity for the church. As Matt Chandler rightly says, Christians should be the most annoyingly thankful people on the world. We should be annoyingly thankful to our co-workers, to our friends, to the neighbors that we meet on the street, and this is quite convicting to me. Like, if your neighbors, co-workers, friends just eavesdrop on your life for about five minutes, are they going to sense annoying thankfulness? Or is the busy, demoralizing, fallen world that you live in deflated your affections and even your face such that people look at you and say, that dude's not really all that different than me. He's discouraged and beat down and weathered just like everybody else is. 
Christians are the kind that count it all joy, brothers, when we meet trials of many kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And we let steadfastness have its full effect so that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That, that friends, takes the power of Christ. Anybody can be thankful when they have their family around the table at Thanksgiving. But Christians are the kind of people that can be thankful when they suffer. Knowing that God is perfectly in control and working all things together for his good purposes in Christ Jesus. We can have a distinctively Christian spirit of thanks. And notice this language. This is, fa- this is awesome to me. We, as the text sets out at the outset, offer back to God the possessions that he has given us. And God, at the end of the text, gives us away to the world as his treasured possession. God gives us possessions and we offer them back to God. And then we here, we've seen this throughout Deuteronomy, we are his treasured possession and he gives us to the world. The check's passing in the mail. God's given, we're given. He's called us and giving us. This is the pace, this is the spirit of the Christian life. So, are you a thankful person this morning? If not, we want to use this space to set our hearts to thankfulness, to discipline thankfulness, to reflect as we sing and as we pray on the bountiful provision of God in our lives, not simply in the circumstances that we've received, the good food that we eat, the family and friends that we enjoy, but in the perfect grace gift of Jesus, who satisfied the Father's wrath on our behalf and saved us, brought us from death to life, something that no circumstances can take away from us. This morning, as we conclude in prayer and singing, may we be a thankful people, not just on this time when our calendar dictates thankfulness, but as a people uniquely Christian in our thankfulness because of the person of Christ. Join me as we pray. God, we, we want to be a people who give thanks. It would seem to, to the outsider that that would be a really easy thing for a Christian to do. I mean, if we really believe the story, we have much to be thankful for this morning. And yet, it's so easy for us to grow downcast and defeated, to lose hope in a fallen world, to allow our circumstances to dictate our affections and our worship to you. We need your Spirit to bring conviction and change to hearts that are prone to be ensnared by sin. We need you to remind us of the glory of what you've accomplished historically through the people of God in the Old Testament, perfectly in sending Jesus, and sovereignly in saving us, and calling us from death to life. 
God, you have been good to us. We pray that we would be a people distinctly marked by our thankfulness. And should there be people here this morning who, who don't know you, who are downcast and defeated by their circumstances, Father, may they, may they see Christians giving thanks. And would that be magnetic for their hearts? Would you use that to bring conviction and repentance and faith that they may trust in you and give thanks to the one whom all worship is due. Would your spirit produce overflowing sense of thankfulness as we worship in song this morning. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen.